Welcome to a new go of new home sales, where we discuss innovative sales and marketing technologies in residential new construction. With millions of dollars flowing into PropTech, we highlight new systems and share best practices so you can successfully incorporate MarTech into your sales cycle. And now, your hosts, John Lee and Anya Crescenta. Well, hello and welcome to a new episode of A New Go of New Home Sales. I'm your host, Anya Christianton, and joining me today is Matt Baer. Matt is the Executive Director with Homes for Hope, and I'm really excited to have you on the show today, Matt. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thank you for being here. So, Matt, as uh, we typically do start, um, if you don't mind uh, telling us a little bit about who you are and uh, how did you end up where you are now? Yeah. So I would say I am a Christian, a husband, a father. I have four great kids, uh, one beautiful wife. And I've had the privilege of being the executive director of Homes for Hope since September of 2019. I started my career in sales and then I moved into campus ministry. I was a campus chaplain for a number of years, for about 12 years. Um, But then as I learned about myself and tried different things in that role. I found that doing humanitarian work and and development in the development field was more of a fit for me. And so I started doing gift and kind procurement and disaster relief through an organization. And through my work with that organization, I did that for about four years. Uh, I learned about the work of Homes for Hope. I'm just really excited about the opportunity I have to build relationships and to connect resources to need around the world. So let's talk about Homes for Hope. So what is, what's the organization? Because I think a lot of people haven't heard about you maybe before. Mm-hmm. So if you can tell us a little bit more about who you guys are. Yeah. Um, Homes for Hope was founded by a builder, Jeff Rutt, from Keystone Custom Homes in Pennsylvania. After the Berlin Wall fell, um, he and his church in Pennsylvania were, were serving another church in Ukraine, sending containers of aid to that community to support people in their time of need. And the local pastor actually came to Jeff and said, your helping is hurting us. The local businesses here can't compete with free. Is there a way that you can help us help ourselves? And so as a businessman, they they noticed fields of sunflowers surrounding the community. And so they came back and wrote up a business plan and purchased a sunflower processing machine. And so that the people in that community can make sunflower oil and sell that. And so they brought it back, brought the machine over, delivered it with the business plan and everything. And then they came back the next year and the machine was sitting in the same corner where they dropped it off gathering dust. And they realized that they had moved from exporting goods to exporting their ideas. And that wasn't working either. And around that time is when he heard about the concept of microfinance, where you give small U.S. dollar denomination loans to entrepreneurs and they pay the loans back and then they're able to uh, receive more loans, et cetera. So he did what he knew how to do. He came back, he built a home and he partnered with his trades and suppliers to get donated and discounted services on the build, which increased the profit margin on the sale of the home. And then he sent 12 loans of around $500 each to this community. And they were invested in different business owners. And the, the guy who went over and helped manage managed that program, called him a couple months later and said, Jeff, I have good news and bad news. The good news is it's working. Uh, Everybody's paying their loans back. Businesses are growing. People are escaping poverty. Uh, The bad news is I'm going to need a lot more capital. 
And so that's how um, Homes for Hope and Hope International was born. We started partnering with other builders around the country to do the same thing. Amazing. So it was founded by a home builder. And obviously, your home builders is who you typically partner with. And I think it, it does land perfectly because we do have such an entrepreneurial spirit. And so to help other entrepreneurs around the world is just a blessing. When we met at the Tropical Sales Retreat, uh, which was great to meet you in person, by the way, you talked about really the difference of when you give somebody a freebie, as you described it, versus when you're giving somebody a microloan. Why is it different? How does it work differently? Because you know, if I'm just going to give them 500 bucks versus I'm giving them a loan of $500 to start a business... For a lot of people, it may not seem like there's much difference, but there is a big difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'll back up a little bit to what you were saying about the building industry. I love working with the building industry. So I've been in the nonprofit world for more than 17 years. The building industry is the most generous industry, I think, in my experience, at least. They give of their time, of their resources. It's baked into the culture. Every, you don't have to convince builders to be generous because they already are. So I love that. The other aspect of it too is that what you were saying about the entrepreneurial spirit, the builders can really relate to the people that we're serving with Homes for Hope because they can see themselves in those stories you know, of working hard uh, to get to where they are today and um, being a blessing to their families and their community. That's what the people that we're serving are trying to do as well. So the second half of your question was about, you know, what the difference is between just giving a, a handout versus investing in people's businesses. So I want to preface this by saying there are times where just giving, giving money or resources is necessary and good. Situations like disaster relief or refugees or even during COVID. This is a really important time to uh, meet needs, real felt needs that people have. However, if you want to see people be developed and grow past the point of just receiving handouts all the time, we can't get stuck there. We can't. Uh, Robert Lupton in his book called Toxic Charity talks about the five levels of toxic charity. And so when you give somebody a gift, uh, they express appreciation. Right when you give them the second gift, there's an there's an anticipation. You know when's the next gift going to come? When you get to the third gift, there's an expectation. Um, okay, I, I've received gifts so far. I know I'm expecting another one to come. By the time you get to the fourth gift, there's an entitlement to it. You know where's my gift? And by the time you get to the fifth gift, you've reached full blown dependency, and that's not that's not healthy. People will perpetually stay in that state. So what we do with Homes for Hope is we kind of turn that on its head where um, you've heard the whole give a man a fish, eat for a day, teach a man a fish, eat for a lifetime. What I love about what we do with Homes for Hope is we're not, we don't have to teach anybody to fish, right? I, they already know what they're, they have great ideas for what their communities want and need. They already have great businesses. So what we're doing instead of teaching them, we're investing in their fishing business, if that makes sense. And then there's a, there's a healthy ownership to it where it's not a reliance on Western aid or an unhealthy reliance on Western aid, but it's their businesses. Um, and uh, they're growing, they're, we're infusing capital that they wouldn't have access to otherwise because they can't access traditional banking services. Loan sharks charge uh, um, abhorrent interest rates. And so 
this is an opportunity they have to access the capital they need to grow, um, pay, the, pay those loans back, access more loans. And what I love about this in the nonprofit space is over the past five years, um, and really over the course of our history, we've averaged around 98% repayment, where 98% of the loans that we give out are repaid. And then that money gets sent back out again as more loans. So somebody who gave way back in 1998 when we first got started, that money is still cycling through today, impacting lives and breaking the cycle of generational poverty. So That's amazing. So it's, it's basically like a snowball effect, right? The more you get, the more money you get into the fund, the more people benefit from it. But I mean, the repayment rate is unbelievable, 98%. So yeah, it, it, it's helping so many more people. So can you talk to us a little bit about like, what's the average loan? And then what types of businesses are people starting or what type of things that people are using to buy with, with these loans? Yeah. Our average loan size is around $300 right now, um, which you think about starting a business for $300. It's kind of mind boggling. And it only costs us as an organization $25 to serve one family for a year initially. And so that's an amazing number. When you think about the kind of uh, profit that's generated on the sale of a home and that's getting donated to us as an organization, you're literally able to serve thousands of families with one home around the world, uh, which I think is unique in the space as well. And the types of businesses people start, man, you name it. People. <laughs> uh, one story we love to tell is this business owner from Rwanda who she had a business selling fried bugs, which is a delicacy, a local delicacy. Um, but you know, it was kind of hand to mouth, getting by day by day. And uh, she had a dream of wanting to send her daughters to school. And so she had this business idea to take, um, I can't remember if it was a $20 loan or a $200 loan, but it's one of those two to purchase those white plastic chairs that you see in people's yards. You know, uh, She wanted to buy 20 of those. And that was her business idea. She wanted to lease out these chairs. So me with my Western mind, if I heard this as a business idea, I probably would not make that loan. I wouldn't invest in that, you know? But because we work with people who are indigenous to these communities who are from there, they're not going to make the same cultural mistakes I'm going to make. You know, uh, They know the communities in which they're living and working. Um, he knew that she had a good business idea. And so what she wanted to do was start a wedding business. In that culture, people would save up their entire lives for these weddings. They would last for weeks at a time. And people get tired and they need to sit down. So she would lease out these chairs for these weddings. Um, and so she took her first loan, paid it back, took out another loan. Um, and the cycle continued. Her daughters were able to go to school. And fast forward to today, she now has 200 chairs, 200 place settings, 200 centerpieces, and three wedding dresses, a small, medium, and a large that she leases out for these weddings. So again, uh, you know, I told the story at the retreat, right, of this, this woman from the Dominican Republic named Anna, who has a fish hatchery where she um, hatches and, and sells betta fish which helped control the mosquito population locally and also gives people colorful pets. Well, she was robbed twice, and uh, which left her bankrupt. And her only course of action, uh, she couldn't feed her family. Her only course of action was to move to a new community. And in that new community, she got connected to a local church, which was um, partnering with our partner in the Dominican Republic called Esperanza. And through that relationship, she was able to access a loan and uh, diversify the fish that she was selling, expand the footprint of her business. Uh, she was able to build a home for her family with the profits from her business. And then COVID hit. 
and people didn't have the expendable income to be able to purchase pets, you know, for, for their homes. So in partnership with their local church, they recognized that everybody in their community had to travel five miles to the next village to be able to purchase essential supplies like uh, clean drinking water, medical supplies, food, etc. And so they worked together to start a grocery store in that community right there. And it did so well that she was eventually able to provide emergency food supplies and medical supplies for up to a thousand families in that community who had lost their jobs due to COVID. And, you know, so you hear these cycles of relief, recovery, and development, right? That That's from When Helping Hurts, which is another excellent book on this subject. And she needed relief at the beginning, right? She, she was bankrupt. She needed help uh, to feed her family, um, but it didn't stay there, right? She was able to recover, rebuild, and then, uh, then she got to a point where she was able to serve others in her community as well. And so now what she wants to do, she has dreams for the future too, right? So uh, her daughter has also joined one of the um, savings groups with her and she wants to open up her own grocery store. Anna wants to change her grocery store to a wholesale outlet where she's sourcing other stores and she wants to go to business school at the local college. And so you can really hear stories of holistic development and thriving uh, with the people that we serve. That's amazing. So you mentioned a couple of countries uh, where you guys go. Um, how many countries are you in? And is it all internationally or do you also serve U- USA? Yeah, great question. So we are active in 15 countries around the world. Um, and we don't execute any programs in the United States because there are already so many organizations that are doing great work here in the U.S. And we also have found that uh, the impact of our work is much greater when we serve people overseas. So we want to be the building industry's response to global poverty. I think that's kind of a niche that we fill. So talk to us about if somebody is listening to this and they're like, okay, great idea. Um, you know, I'd love to get involved with this. Is there a guide or is there a playbook of how do you get started? Because obviously it's a great idea to be able to donate the proceeds of a sale of a home, but I can imagine not many builders are in a position to just be able to build the home for free. So what are some of the best practices for getting this to fruition, I guess? Yeah, absolutely. I, I would say step one would be to connect with me and let's talk, let's build the relationship. The last thing I would want for this to be is just transactional. You know, the um, poverty, you can't just, like I said before, you can't just throw money and resources at something as complicated as poverty and then, you know, pound yourself in the chest and say, look at all I've done. Like it, it's, it do, it's done in the context of relationship over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would say let's start there. And typically what happens is we don't disrupt a builder's normal process of building marketing and selling their home. They're building their product and their communities with their people. And what all they would have to do is identify an upcoming build and say, you know, this is going to be a Homes for Hope project. Um, and then typically what, what happens is we'll hold a launch event where we invite their trades and their suppliers and their whole team to the event where we cast vision for what it is that we're doing. And then uh, people will commit to give a certain amount. We also don't require that people participate at a hundred percent in order to participate, whatever makes sense for people in their businesses. We're, we're just grateful to have people involved. Yeah. So we'll have that launch event, usually groundbreaking as well. Um, and then, like I said, they, they go through their normal process of building marketing and selling it. 
And then once the home is sold, we'll have a ribbon cutting ceremony and celebrate with their trade suppliers. The, um, the new homeowners are also in the room with all the people that built their home, which is a really cool moment. And we celebrate the impact of what the gift is going to translate into. Wow. So I can imagine as a homeowner, you probably feel like this is amazing, right? Like my money. I mean, obviously I'm super happy that I get to live in this beautiful new home, but on top of that, it's the, the money is actually going to go to help somebody. So I wonder if, you know, you could almost implement it where like a portion of from sale of each home goes to Homes for Hope, right? That, that that would be awesome thing to to promote, and people love to be part of a bigger calling. Uh, so it's not you're just buying home, but you're also helping somebody else. And we've we found that that uh, we don't want to be restrictive to anybody who wants to get involved in this. So mm-hmm. um, some, especially on the remodeling side, um, people are doing a per job partnership where they'll take our average loan size and donate that per job that they complete, or our twenty five dollar to serve a family for a year multiplier, they'll take a donation and say, we were able to serve this many families through this project. We're exploring some partnerships with, with home warranties, uh, companies and realtors, et cetera. So um, interior designers. Uh, so again, anybody who wants to get involved with this, we're, we're excited to have you. Yeah. So how many builders do you currently work with or how many builders are a part of this? If you give us a rough idea. Yeah, man. So I think the easiest way to answer that question is, for this calendar year, we're going to be starting about 20 projects, um, which is which is great. And we hope to grow from here. Mm-hmm. And again, remember, the best part is it's 20 projects this year, but there were 20 projects last year, the year before that. So all of that money keeps recirculating and getting repaid. It's incredible. That's what I love about this. A lot of the people that we're serving have probably never heard of Homes for Hope or our parent organization, Hope International. You know, they... They know the the local people that are serving them, the the local organizations that we partner with, or the local churches um, where they're saving and receiving the loans. And if Hope Homes for Hope or Hope International ever goes away, the people that we've served up until this point, they still have their businesses. You know, they're they're still going to be able to feed their families and grow. Another thing I love about this too is that. People aren't perpetually a part of our program. They they graduate and they where they've learned all that we can teach them, and then they get to a point where they're teaching others, and they're and we're not serving them anymore. And so that reduces our, you know, our impact in terms of numbers, but in terms of fighting poverty and seeing the grip of poverty over generations be be reduced and released. That's what it's all about. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's amazing to me also with the repayment rate. I um. You know, I'm a big um, technology fan. Yeah. So I was reading all about the different tech that's helping third world countries. And for example, I mean, a lot of people don't have access to banking, right? It, and so it's a lot of it's done through a cell phone. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> so there's a lot of companies now that are basically helping people get access to funds through the cell phone. And it's almost like an ATM, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. It's transactions are so easy. Um, but they're also doing a lot of those um, microloans. I mean, it's not it's not a charity. But what I was also surprised by is the, the repayment rate. It was very similar to what you're talking about. Yeah. So it's, yeah, when you're starting a business and it is a smaller dollar amount, I wonder for whatever reason, that's, that number is, is really, really high, which is 
Great. Um, it makes, I would say as a donor, I think it makes you want to contribute even more so, right? Because um, people's trust with their yeah. donors. Yeah. And we have a technology team that has even developed some apps that are used by other organizations as well. One is called the DreamSave app. And we are implementing these in different locations around the world. So earlier on, you mentioned how people want to be a part of something that's bigger than themselves. Over the past 20 years or so, there's been a shift in charitable giving where um, the mindset before was people would give obligatorily. It's the right thing to do. But for for millennials and Gen Zers who have grown up with the internet, they have access to so much more information than their predecessors, right? And so they're able to look into why an organization is doing what it's doing, how the funds are being spent, what kind of impact it's having. And so the giving is much more impact-driven than it is obligatory, which I think is a really healthy shift. And then another aspect is when social media came onto the scene, right? Uh, it, it shifted our mindset in the, in the West from a more guilt-innocence-driven mindset. You know, is this the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do? To a more Eastern honor-shame type mindset? Will I be ashamed if I do this thing or... Will I be ostracized? So it's led to people wanting to be a part of something that's bigger than themselves and be on the right side of history. So access to information and being able to research an organization, what it is they're doing has led to greater accountability for nonprofit organizations to make sure that we're stewarding donors' finances well. And then more power for the donor to not only do that research, but then also get involved beyond just giving money. Uh, an event I organized once, somebody came and she said, I wanted to come and do this, but I didn't want to do it alone, you know? And so there's that mindset of, of, yeah, wanting to be involved in something that's transcendent. And yeah, as I mentioned, like for Mark, I mean, I always have my marketing hat on, but we do see that, as you mentioned, millennials and Gen Z, they're much more likely to purchase products um, or do business with companies who are aligned with their values and who are um, standing for something greater. So, for example, if you were big into, you know, environmental, maybe you're not producing as much waste as other companies, or maybe you're offsetting um, the CO2. That's a great story to tell. And I mean, obviously, this is an amazing story to tell. So, yeah. instead of having, you know, a story about yourself, like you can very easily incorporate this into your marketing and again, selfishly, but yeah, for a good cause. So yeah. things like sustainability, right. Return on investment, um, lack of waste. Yeah. All those things that you're putting your finger on and beyond, not even just people that are purchasing your products, but uh, re- like attracting and retaining top talent in the industry, right. The people that are the top talent in the industry right now, the up and comers are millennials and Gen Zers are on their heels. Another thing too, is that um, Gen Zers are, not afraid to tell superiors what to do, right? Uh, there's a, they're highly confident. I uh, have two Gen Zers in my household that are not yeah. afraid to tell their superiors what to do. <laughs> and so something like this, this is an area where you're able to give your uh, Gen Z talent um, ownership and opportunities to do this type of research. Let them lead the process of looking into charitable organizations that are out there and and leading that effort, you know? So yeah, there's all sorts of advantages, I think. 
Yeah, I love that. So Matt, if somebody uh, wants to connect with you and they want to be a part of this, what's the best way to reach out to you? Yeah, feel free to visit our website, homes4hope.org um, or just find me on LinkedIn. And again, it's Matt Bear spelled B-A-E-H-R. That's correct. Yeah. Sorry for the weird spelling, but <laughs> I was born with it. Well, it would be too weird if you were actually like a bear bear. So right, right. <laughs> so be sure to um, to reach out to Matt um, on LinkedIn and check out their website. And again, remember that every dollar you contribute, 98 cents of that is going to probably still be recirculating in the universe 10, 20, 30 years from now. So uh, definitely a great cause. So Matt, thank you so much for being on today's show. I really, really appreciate you being on. Um, as I mentioned, um, when I saw you speak at the uh, at the retreat, I was just so inspired because I didn't know the difference between, you know, really charitable giving versus microloans. And I think that's totally a game changer. And that I'd imagine, again, makes more people want to contribute to that. So, so thank you for, for doing the work. And uh, being a good human human person, you know, that you're uh, involved with this. I mean, it's, it's got to be like a job that you feel really good about. So thank you. Yeah, I love it. And thanks for the opportunity and for uh, the important work you do as well. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Matt. I'll talk to you very soon. Sounds good. Thank you. Bye.